0: Time for Roof Horswell, everybody. Thank you so much, Roof. Just a what what amazing privilege to be part of a team that on a Sunday morning want more than anything else to make space to worship Jesus, to not just get through a service, to not just do the running order of events, but to do what we all came here to do and worship the, the risen Lord. So thank you, guys, incredible worship team, beautiful. Um, Yeah, I'm going to be continuing from where we left off last week, like literally, right at the end of the service. It wasn't planned. Um, I don't know if you're watching or not, but I got up and I just shared that I felt it was important to sing the blessing, the song that we were singing, to sing it, but over those that we were to forgive. Perhaps people in our life that we had, you know, had grievances with, that we've struggled with, that have done us wrong echoing the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. Pray for your enemies. I believe it's Matthew 5, 44. Pray for your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Some translations say bless those who, um, who have done you wrong. And I want to continue because we're on this series of I Like Nothing, and i, I got to be honest, I think that the most extravagant expression of contentment within the soul of a human being is to Forgive and to live as one who has been forgiven. When we forgive and when we receive the reality of our forgiveness, our debts are settled. We don't live as someone in lack. We don't live as someone in judgment. We don't live as someone seeking retribution. We live free. And so I want to dive into it today and I'm conscious of the time because we're going to give you a bit of a two for one message this morning. I'm going to I'm, gonna, I'm basically the warm-up act this morning for my wife. Kara's going to come up and bring it home. So it is 11.27. Start heckling me in 15 minutes, all right? All right, here we go. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue from where we left off last week in the Scriptures, Matthew 5. You can turn your Bibles to that page. I think we're going to have it up on the screen in a second. Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' manifesto for his kingdom. And he says this, Seeing the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and when he sat down his disciples came to him. Just love the imagery. Jesus is going for a hike. He sits down, and as soon as he sits down, the disciples gather around. They know it's about to go down, and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, and blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's where we Stayed last week. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And today we're looking at this verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So last week we looked at blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And the reality that when we deal with our mindsets of entitlement, we start to receive the truth that everything in our life really is a gift. Amen. We start living with a posture of gratitude. And we're able to say I lack nothing because we've come into this clarity and this understanding. As the psalmist says in Psalm 24, everything in the earth is the Lord's. And so everything good in our life comes from him. And so we don't live in this perpetual state of striving and fighting for good things in our life. We live in this constant awareness, this constant state of receiving what is already there. That's how. Someone living in absolute poverty is able to say, I lack nothing. That's why the Apostle Paul was able to say, I've had plenty and I've had few. And in all things, I'm satisfied. It's in that state of recognizing we are living in a perpetual state of God's goodness. So that's where we, that's where we stayed last week. And today, a couple of verses later, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now often... When Jesus talks about forgiveness, talks about mercy, he speaks about how when we forgive, it's an acknowledgement of the fact that we've been forgiven. So when he teaches us, his disciples, to pray, he says, Father, forgive us as we have forgiven those that have done us wrong. And that what he isn't doing there is he isn't kind of setting us up with this sort of vending machine relationship with mercy and forgiveness. If I put a coin in I'll get one out. What he's saying is when you live with the contemplation upon the awareness of the fact that you have been forgiven it totally reorders the way in which you see the world. The Psalms say that the wages of sin are death. Some people just logged off. (laughs) The wages of sin a death. It's heavy language. But actually, when you get down to it, I don't think there's a person upon this earth who would really disagree. We don't use the word sin very often in our culture. It's not an English term, term that we kind of throw into conversation. But when we talk about what sin is, we're really looking at missing the mark. That's, it's an archery term. I've heard one rabbi say sin is simply the disturbance of shalom, the disturbance of peace. So, when we live in a manner which is less than worthy of the humanity Jesus revealed was possible, the biblical word for it is sin. And the scripture says that the wages of sin are death. When you live in a way where your actions and your thoughts disturb the peace, the shalom within, it ultimately leads to death. Physical, literal death, yes, a lot of the time. Relational death, breakdown of relationships, yup. Financial death, yup. Emotional death, yup. The wages of living in a way that disturbs the peace leads to death. And that's a very real, very true statement. And I think we can try to live lives that avoid the actuality of that truth. What I do doesn't really matter. You know, just, just live in a way where, like, you're not harming anybody else and you're all good. The reality is we are constantly putting Different things into the earth. We are either sowing, this is what Jesus spoke about throughout the Gospels, we're either sowing life or we're sowing death. And it doesn't just impact us, it impacts the world around us and the generations to come. Our lives matter, which is why the scriptures are so clear about the way we live and the impact that it has. So Jesus' response to the wages of sin or death is to do what? die. And that's why this Easter weekend is so powerful. This is the the climax of the Christian tradition in April, the first weekend of April. Paul writes, he that knew no sin, stay with me, he that had never done anything to disturb the peace within him or outside of him, he had had done nothing wrong. He that knew no sin became our sin Jesus became incarnational Jesus became everything we had ever done in thoughts in words in actions that had disturbed the peace missed the mark he became our sin and what happened in response to that becoming of sin well the wages the payment of it is death so what did he do he died and then what did he do he rose from the dead Revealing that he had conquered the very consequence of sin itself. Which is why that last supper is so beautiful. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. My blood of the new covenant. The forgiveness of sins. We have been forgiven of that very innate need that every human being has. My daughter is getting Pentecostal this morning. Amen. That's the truth, but we live even a lot of our Christian lives with our perspective of it. And like the older brother I talked about last week, who lived in such a state of unawareness of what he had received, he lived like he had to earn everything that was already his. We can do a similar thing with grace and forgiveness, but almost in reverse. We can live with such comfortability in our faith that we live actually in a state of avoidance that we needed that we continually need God's grace and God's forgiveness. Amen? Couple people. So, Jesus is saying, the more aware you are of your forgiveness, the more you will forgive. Blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy. What they have done is they've stepped into the way of the kingdom. We think that when we get even, when we get even, we make things right. But when we get even, we make things odd. (laughs) When we get even, we make things odd. Because Jesus' kingdom is based not upon retribution, but on restoration. God didn't get even with humanity. God didn't get even with us. God gave us mercy and he gave us grace. Paul says in Romans 5, oh, God's grace and mercy—that open space where we always long to be—God gave it to us. He brought us into grace and mercy. So, when we live in a posture of forgiveness, we're living in accordance with His kingdom. I was thinking about this not so long ago. I told you last week that I spent a lot of last year just living in the beatitudes, and I was meditating on this scripture. And it was really—it was ironic because there was a particular day I was thinking about this scripture. And I woke up, and it was one of those days that from the get-go just started going wrong. I woke up in recognition that I was late on two very important deadlines with some creative projects I was on. That transpired to me communicating with a peer, with someone I was working with, in a very frustrated um, manner, which definitely hurt the person. I, I basically just kept pushing this stuff down. I'm just cracking on with my day. All right, I'm late on the deadline. Let's just dismiss it and move on. I've hurt that person. Let's just dismiss it and move on. Then I needed to go to Sainsbury's and pick up some stuff. So I drive up there. I was not driving as safely as I could have. I'm like going as fast as I can to get there. I pull into Sainsbury's and Bay Parking, it was packed. And I scratched the car on my left as I'm going in. And I mean scratch it. And I was just like, oh my goodness. So, I was like, I don't know what you meant to do here, like, I just need to be accountable to it, so I thought, I'll run into Sainsbury's, and I'll quickly buy a pen and paper, and I'll write my details and put it on the, um, you know, windshield, and then we can talk about this later, and so I run in, I get the pen and the paper, I buy it, I run back out, and the car to my left has gone. Now, you might be all thinking about the thing I should have done, the wiser thing, but in that moment, that was all I could have thought to do, was for them to get in touch with me. And I got back in my car. I hadn't even done the shop. I got back in my car and I sat in the driver's seat and my head hit the steering wheel. And I, and I said this ancient sacred prayer that has been spoken by our church fathers and mothers for generations upon generation. I just said this, Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy upon me. And it's it's sometimes just... Bad days that bring you back to your need for mercy and for forgiveness. And look, forgiveness is never easy. It's never easy. But Jesus is saying the more you contemplate and the more you receive the fact that you have been forgiven, the easier it becomes because the more you recognize this is how the kingdom is. This is how the kingdom works. We don't forgive ever because someone deserves it. We forgive To posture ourselves not in the system of justice and judgment and retributive actions, but in a posture of restoration just as we have moved ourselves to be restored. Does that make sense? We never forgive because it's just the easiest thing to do or it's the thing that makes us feel good about ourselves. We do it, not because someone else deserves it. We do it because it realigns us with the truth of our own forgiveness. There's a, there's a quote by Charles Spurgeon, which I, which I love. He says this, he says, you know, when we forgive, I'm paraphrasing him, but when we forgive, we actually acknowledge what Christ has done for us. And that's why to forgive is to say I lack nothing. Christ has given me everything, so no man owes me anything. Christ has given me everything. No one owes me anything. If Jesus became the sin, if he became the disturbance of the shalom for all people of all time and throughout history, there is nothing that has ever been done to someone or will be done to someone that wasn't upon the shoulders of Christ as his arms are stretched out on our Roman torture device. So Charles Spurgeon said, son, forgive them. Christ has suffered enough. Forgive them. Because ultimately it's upon the shoulders of Christ that the justice and the judgment that you so desire is being inflicted. But you can't look at that cross of Christ without seeing the judgment and the justice that you deserved upon yourself revealed. I'm just going to tell you one more little story and then uh, my wife is going to come up and bring this message home. My, my parents, in the last couple of years, have gone through this, this, this kind of real difficult situation financially. I asked their permission to share this. Um, and they've been trying to sell a house up in Haworth, Scott and Faith. Beautiful little house in Haworth, Bronteland. land. Um, they, they had this house, and you know every, every time I spoke to my dad, I was like, has the house sold yet? And he was like, no, we need to do loads of repairs to it. So they brought in this builder to repair it. And it started off fine, but to cut a long story short, throughout the whole of last year, I mean, it went on and on and on. Every time I spoke to my dad, I was finding out more and more of how this builder had been putting them in such a difficult situation. Effectively, he stole thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds from them. And the work that he did meant that house couldn't sell. So in total, I mean, he lost out on a sale. This this one guy cost them a huge amount of money. He stopped replying, they couldn't get in touch with him. Phone calls, texts, emails, there was no way of getting in touch with him. So they considered, I think they began to do it through the courts. At which point, a like debt insolvency company got in touch with my parents and said, we're working with this guy to try and sort out his finances. And then a few weeks later, out of the blue, the builder called my parents. I don't know if he even knew the amount of stress and pressure and pain he'd put them through. And he called them up. And my dad said to him, having spoke to my mom, he said, I can't remember his name. I won't even say it. What's the point? He said, um, we want to we forgive you. We just want to forgive you for what you've done to us. And the guy was really, really emotional, really emotional. I just want to forgive you. And then my parents said, we want to forgive you of all the debt as well. I just want to forgive you of all that debt, to which the guy was just, Really emotional and overwhelmed in his gratitude. And he said, why? And my dad said, because we've been forgiven a much larger debt. <laughs> right? And he's not talking about finances. My dad in that moment is living in the forgiveness of Christ. The debt of sin. The debt of disturbance. Christ Christ, oof! Christ has given me everything. No man owes me anything. It's the priest and Les Mis, you know. You forgot the candlesticks. Remember that scene? It's living in a perpetual state of God's goodness and His grace. And then the debt company called my parents up weeks later, and they said, we just want to make this official. Have you actually forgiven him all of that debt? My parents said, yes. And they said, why? And he said, because we've been forgiven a much bigger debt. And they, and they, 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 they suggested that guy do alpha. They opened up the alpha course to the builder. Phenomenal. But that, for me, is such a beautiful imagery of lacking nothing. Terry, why don't you come up? This... this um, This is in no way, you know, a process of not acknowledging the pain that comes with forgiveness. And I've asked Kara to share a bit more about the God who's with us in our pain because God doesn't run from our pain. So when we run from our pain, we're only running from God, right? God is with us in our pain. To forgive isn't to press down and forget about what we've been through. To forgive isn't to get over it. To forgive is to live freely.
1: Thank you, thank you. Amen. I so agree. Forgiveness in the way of Jesus. And I just want to say, you know, Josh is right. You know, even that story about Josh's parents, um, forgiveness is a 100% choice. We can choose to forgive. We can wake up and tomorrow. We can have the next five minutes, the next 30 seconds and say, I will and I can. So I will and I am. You can do that. In that process, I just so believe that forgiveness, there is humanity. Jesus is a human on the cross, right? He was baptized and anointed by God and with God did every single miracle possible, did every sign and wonder with God, anointed, you know, the spirit of God in him and through him. And he gave us all of that, all of that option he gave us but still human. So I'm going to be really quick. I'm just going to hit a few points really of, of this forgiveness journey that I really do believe we keep coming back to. So it's an, it's an opportunity for intimacy. That's where we're going. It's an opportunity for intimacy with the Lord, intimacy with others, to really receive what the resurrection of Christ has given us. So we're going to go into you know that um, classic Jesus wept. The classic, why not? Go straight there. It's John 11. Um, So I'm not going to read it all. I'm going to paraphrase it a bit, but I would really encourage you to go back and read it. It, This scripture has struck me and struck my heart in such a way. Um, We're going to start in John 11, verse 11. And Jesus hears um, that Lazarus has passed away and um, he's talking with the disciples going back and forth. But this is what he says. He says, um, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go awaken him. The first thing about this process is that Jesus has had his eyes on resurrection. Just remember that through this story, he knew he was going towards redemption of all things, restoration of all things. Um, So just hold that in your mind as we go forward. We're going to skip down to John 11 Yeah, John 11, sorry, um, 32. And this is where Jesus gets there. Obviously, in Mary's eyes, he's late. (laughs) Um, Lazarus has been dead now for three days, four days, I think. And um, this is what Mary says. This is what that scripture says, 1132. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell to his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And I hear in that sorrow, I hear in that pain, I hear in that grief, I hear in that vulnerability. What if it was okay to bring exactly how it felt to the King of Kings, to the one you knew could do something, to the one you hoped would do something, to that disappointment and that pain? What if you could bring that like Mary did And I believe vulnerability moves the heart of God. So we need to engage with the very thing that hurts. That's what this shows me. Because Jesus didn't go on then to say, oh, be quiet, Mary, or get over it. He knew in his heart he was going towards resurrection. But the next thing is he took compassion. He listened. He saw, in verse 33, he saw her weeping. And it says he was moved. His spirit was moved deeply so we had compassion on this moment. So if we want to do emotions and forgiveness in the way of Jesus, have compassion. Take a minute and listen. Listen to your heart. Listen to what you're feeling, because God doesn't negate it. He doesn't override it. That is something I would really speak into your heart. We have a God of victory, and we stand on victory, but we we do not have a God that covers up. We do not have a God that pushes things away. We have a God who faced death, (laughs) looked into the eye of death and still said, I'm not finished yet. (laughs) Still said, this isn't finished. I've got more freedom. So listen, have compassion. And Jesus went on. It says, um, he was moved and his spirit was troubled. In verse 34, he asked him, where did you lay him? And they say, come see. So This is interesting. Jesus has met, met Mary, seen that there is grief. And wa- walking towards resurrection, knowing I'm going to go wake Lazarus, is still composed in this place of I'm going to be here, Emmanuel, God with us. In the very place that hurts, in the very place that is challenging, the very place that you've all been. So they would have been grieving in this place for days. So let's go back. He's almost like, let's go back to that very place together and see what I can do. And it says, come see. They're calling him out of that space of compassion. So like, let's, come on, come on, let's go. And it says, Jesus wept there. And that's really struck my heart there of all places. He could have wept at the beginning. He could have been weeping all along, but it says it's documented here when they could have moved on. He still waits and lingers because he wants us to know that he is with us in the pain, that he is with us in this moment of choice and belief and faith and all of that like amalgamation of things. He's with us. So here Jesus validated what they were feeling. And I just feel like there's many of us that maybe in our desire to be faithful want to override the fact that things hurt and emotion is tricky and challenging and the emotion of forgiveness, it has to be in there because we're human. It can be a quick process and I really believe it's a mature process to have. But to wrap up really, in this I lack nothing season, it isn't to void emotion. It's to be content in the way of Jesus. And I believe, because Jesus went on to say, come out Lazarus and bring resurrection and change everything. But he still met them in their humanity. And I feel like today in every single person who is journeying this journey of forgiveness... I just want to say that God gives permission to be as you are within it, and there's still going to be resurrection at the end. Is that our time? Oh, keep going. Okay. Welcome, baby. Hello. And a sweet part of this, I think, that in, a, in John 11:44, 44, Jesus says to Lazarus, close. And I feel like today, in the midst of forgiveness journeys, to take off your grave clothes, you can choose to take off the heaviness. And I believe that that is a process. And I really encourage you, if you can, reach out to friends, reach out to people who are safe, talk about these things. Just because we have a conflicting emotion does not mean that you don't have the faith and love and intimacy with Jesus that you desire. The forgiveness pursuit is offered up today to Jesus for resurrection. Change everything, God. Redeem this. I, I, I want to lack nothing in you. That we can have our relationships, our dreams, our values, our worth, our peace, our vision for life, our families, our futures, all resurrected. And this is, again, an invitation to intimacy. Because if we can give ourselves to this process of forgiveness means we're content in all things. We're content in this, yeah, this hurt, yeah, this sucks, but here's a God whose intent towards me is to res- resurrect everything in our lives. It's a powerful place to live, a powerful place to be.
0: Thank you, darling. We're going to, we're going to wrap up and um, the band are going to lead us in a song. Before we do, a great chapter on forgiveness is Matthew 18 and Jesus just r- says something so, so powerful. I think it's to Peter. He, he, it's, it's just before the parable of the unforgiving servant, if you want to read it. It's in Matthew 18. Peter says, how many times should we forgive? How many times should we do it? And Jesus says, 70 times 7. Lord, how often when my brother sin against me and i forgive him as many as set as many as 70 times jesus said to him i do not say sorry as many as 70 times asked peter and jesus said not seven times but 77 times jesus is speaking of an infinite amount that word that number seven speaks of in, in you know just continual and that isn't just in the in the context of people will do us wrong over and over and over and over again so you just keep forgiving It's actually in the sense of there might be one thing in your heart that you know you're carrying unforgiveness in. And it might be that that is a process over and over and over again of forgiving. Again, not because they deserve it, but because you want to be reconciled to the way of the kingdom and not an empire. So Jesus is is giving us permission for this to be a journey and a process and not a one-time prayer, one-song ministry, a lifestyle, a way of being. We're going to sing, I look to you, right? God, I look to you. Let's take this time in, in meditation. Let's take it in reflection and everything that Karen and I have shared this morning. If you feel overwhelmed, if you feel like this is such a big task and such, a, such a, a mountain in front of you when you think about unforgiveness, sing this song from a posture of acknowledging that, reaching out to Jesus. God, I look to you. I can't forgive on my own. I can't do it just being, being a good person. I can't doing it just being altruistic. God, I want to do this because I want to walk in the way of Jesus. So I need your strength. I need your help to be able to say confidently and authentically, I lack nothing. Christ has given me everything. No one owes me anything. Amen.